Today's episode of Well Actually is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think MMA tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the fight? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of, well, actually, the Athletic MMA's podcast about MMA and other stuff. As usual, this is your host, Fernanda Prates, and we're coming off yet another very busy weekend for MMA. We had Bellator, we had Invicta, we had the glowing coronation of Israel Adesanya at UFC Australia. And we're heading into yet another packed couple of days there, with PFL, Rising, Cage Warriors, and UFC Tampa. Basically, there's a lot going on, and a lot of great and very qualified people talking about all of it in their own shows. But I am not going to be one of those people. This week's episode will be about something that I just knew from the minute that I set out to do this podcast that I was going to have to get to eventually. I tried to kid myself, to pretend like I could somehow find a way around it. I thought about inviting a guest and just letting them handle the hard questions because you know what? It's my podcast and I get to be a coward about it if I want. But... Sometimes in life, you just gotta rip that six foot five, 260 pound band aid. I could go on building the suspense, but if you're listening to this, you've probably read the description and you know what I'm talking about. And you probably already have some type of opinion on feeling on what I'm talking about too. Because when it comes to anything that has to do with this week's subject, opinions and feelings sure do abound. Welcome to the episode that I'm calling simply. The Greg Hardy issue. I honestly had a really tough time figuring out how to start. So I'm just going to go ahead and cheat. <laughs> I'll start with the easy stuff. The stuff you can't deny or take issue with or, you know, sue me over. The context. Hardy is, of course, currently a UFC heavyweight. His pro MMA career started in June 2018 with the Dana White's Contender Series win over Austin Lane. Hardy didn't get signed by the UFC right away, though. He earned what they call a developmental deal and did another two fights, including another contender series one, before getting his official Octagon debut at UFC on ESPN Plus One. He lost that one. He was DQ'd due to a le- an illegal knee against Alan Crowder, but went on to win his next two bouts against Dmitry Smolyakov and, more recently, Juan Adams. Hardy will fight again on the 18th at UFC on ESPN 6 in Boston, where he'll meet Ben Sosoli, Sosoli, I don't know, I'm not John Anik, I'm bad with names. Hardy is also a former NFL player who played for the Carolina Panthers and later the Dallas Cowboys. Whatever that means, the NFL is totally not a thing in Brazil. He also has a very aesthetically intriguing tribal tattoo splattered across his chest. But this, of course, isn't why we're talking about Greg Hardy today, though that tattoo does deserve its own show. In January 2014, and I'm going to use the the Washington Post's exact verbiage here, 
A district court judge in North Carolina found Hardy guilty of assault and communicating threats, both misdemeanors, over an incident two months earlier involving his former girlfriend. In North Carolina, however, defendants found guilty of misdemeanors in bench trials can have their cases retried in front of a jury. Prosecutors then dropped the charges against Hardy when his ex-girlfriend failed to show up to testify against him in the subsequent jury trial, and the charges were expunged from his record in November 2015. So that's what the Washington Post said about uh, his legal situation. Anyway, Deadspin will later publish an article with some pictures and details of the alleged victim's own testimony on what happened. I won't go over them because it can be triggering, but the article is still out there if you want to see it. Hardy ended up signing with the Cowboys in 2015 after the Panthers didn't re-sign him, but by 27, he had played his last game. Even if legally, Hardy had come out relatively unscathed, his reputation and his NFL career hadn't. And that, much to no one's surprise, is when MMA comes in. First, I'd like to just say that I do not know Greg Hardy. I've never even interviewed him. I don't know him as a person. I don't know his character. I do not know what's in his heart. I don't know because there's no way of knowing all the pure and undeniable facts of his situation. And that's not what I'm interested in discussing today. I also have no interest in painting him as a monster. I don't even believe in monsters. I believe in people, and I believe people can do bad things, and I believe there is a system that often fails to hold them accountable for these things, or to, at the very least, be sensitive toward those affected by them. That's why I call this episode the Greg Hardy issue, meaning it's much less about him, the person, than it is about the situation surrounding him in the UFC. And I'm not alone in thinking that it has been poorly conducted. I already had that suspicion, but for this episode, I asked Twitter how they felt about seeing Hardy compete in the UFC. I got a total of 58 different people responding, give or take, I'm really bad at math, which for me, that was quite surprising. I don't have that many followers, so that's some serious engagement already. The responses were quick. Some were very enthusiastic. Not everyone agreed. And something I found particularly interesting was that I had a handful of male fans come in and sort of juxtapose their own feelings with the feelings of their female partner, partners in their messages to me. And those feelings differed in interesting ways that I'm going to get to in a bit. I unfortunately do not have the time here to share all of them. But the thread, the public one anyway, is there if you want to check out the responses. The vast majority of them weren't very favorable toward Hardy, but a couple were in terms of just basically defending his right to a career in MMA regardless of his past. I did read everything and I will highlight as many as I can in the replies as well as some of the direct messages as a guide for our conversation here. And this really is what I want this to be. Not a trial, not an inquisition, not a character assassination mission, but a conversation. I'll start with the recurring theme, the narrative of redemption. That's pretty much what the UFC went with, right? In order to fight the negative press that immediately came with Hardy's presence. Everybody deserves a second chance. It's one of the replies that I got from Twitter user Theodore Bagwell-Jones. And it's also literally what UFC president Dana White said right away. 
before saying, wrongly, that Hardy was never charged with anything. As a reminder, he was. The charges were just later dropped. But in any case, the story that the UFC stuck with, not just White himself, but also their promotional packages and everything, was that this was really a comeback story. This is a direct quote from White. The guy paid his dues. He hit rock bottom, he built himself back up, and the guy's out there just trying to make a life and a living. Okay, so that's something that I got a lot when I first started expressing my problems with how the UFC went about handling the Hardy situation. What? You don't believe in second chances? I, as a matter of fact, very much do. I believe in reform and rehabilitation as a major principle in life. I'm against the death penalty, and I think our punitive, vindictive prison system is broken. I believe people are not, for the most part, intrinsically bad, and that often they're products of their environments. You will rarely hear me calling anyone who isn't Brazil's current president or any of his disgraceful offspring a piece of shit. I believe that in order to change things, we need to speak from a place of empathy and compassion. Having said all of that, you can't just speak a redemption story into existence. And that's what the UFC has consistently tried to do here. And dare I say, they are not doing a great job at it. Words that popped up a few times in my mentions in DMs were acknowledgement and accountability. And they weren't popping up there for good reasons. For the record, Hardy did say in an ESPN interview in 2016 that, and this is a direct quote, I've never put my hand on any women in my whole entire life. No, sir. That's just not how we're raised. However, in terms of his USC career, uh, we haven't really been getting that type of direct, flat-out denial. Uh, he's talked about proving himself and changing opinions on his own merits, while on the UFC side, we've been mostly met with some vague defensiveness. Why talks about Hardy having paid his dues? And I think the question for a lot of people, at least those who talk to me, is, has he, though? As in, have we actually seen any concrete movements in that direction from either him or the UFC? Say, for the sake of argument, that Hardy didn't really do those things. That's not even the argument that we're being fed here. Instead, what we're getting is whatever what matters is that he's trying that he deserves, and I wrote this one in all caps in my script, deserves the second chance. And here's the thing for me when we talk about that. I'm not out here saying his mom shouldn't love him, that his family shouldn't defend him, or that he should be shunned and sent to a cave and forced to listen to the music of Kevin Federline for the rest of his life. I don't know how he conducted any of this in his personal life. What I know is how it was all conducted in the public sphere. What I know is that Hardy was given a huge platform and the biggest stage there is in the sport of MMA have, after having done little professionally to show that he'd earned it. So there's a difference, right? In a sense that so far, this looks less like a second chance than it does a reward. And my problem with that, and what I think a lot of people might not realize, is how the dismissive way the UFC has gone about this makes a big part of their fan base women, sure, but also a lot of men, feel, especially those who have been victims of abuse. I haven't, so I'll give the floor to those who have. I'll start with the DM that I got from a woman who didn't want to be identified. I think it's a valuable perspective, both because of her personal and her professional experiences. She says, and I quote, 
I am one of those people that won't watch Hardy Fight due to my past experiences with abuse from a partner. My reaction to seeing him is disgust, if I'm being honest. However, in my field of work, I have to work with and support perpetrators of violence in seeking rehabilitation and resources for help. I truly believe in rehabilitation, but only when perpetrators of violence formally go through the process and take accountability for their actions. Hardy has done no such thing and only went to court-mandated counseling to keep him in the NFL. It ultimately did not. I'll add to this one just the final bit of another direct message I got uh, from a longtime Twitter friend, Ben Tapa. I, I don't, I, names are hard. Hopefully I got that right. Anyway, he said, and I quote, fighting isn't a redemptive arc in and of itself. It's a combat sport with some money available and a huge pack of awful people around. That's why this matters and why I'm continually disappointed in how the leading figures and organizations aid and passively encourage treatment of women as lesser and violence towards them. On that same note, I will highlight another DM, also by a man who has a female partner. And I've picked it because the way he started sums up a lot of the sentiment on that Twitter thread. He starts with, I'm conflicted. And I think a lot of people were. The DM continues, I think it was Luke Thomas who said, if you can't fight in a cage, then what can you do? I'm kind of there with Luke. My issue is him fighting in the biggest promotion in the world and getting the reward slash perks that goes with it. He continued for a bit and then ended with, I like the idea of him being knocked out, but I don't like the idea of him benefiting after what he did. That, you see, if you look at the thread, was very prevalent. And then the same Twitter user adds the perspective of his female partner. She refuses to watch him, he said. She had a traumatic childhood, and for her, he is far too triggering. To that, I'll add the experience of Amy Kaplan, who covers MMA for Fansided, and who has been outspoken about her own experiences with domestic violence. She, she actually spoke to a Guardian piece about Hardy a while back, and here's what she told me. I don't like watching him fight. I don't like that he's making a career of being famous for attacking a woman. Yes, I believe that he deserves to work, but it feels wrong to train an abuser to be even more dangerous. I also think that what the UFC allows and doesn't is subjective to if it will make them money or not. With that said, it's my job, and I do watch him fight, and if I'm able to have someone else recap his fights or handle his interviews, I will. Full disclosure... <laughs> It had to come eventually. I have specific views, and most of my followers are people who are aware of them. Uh, so yeah, this is a specific group of people. But at the same time, I am not also particularly famous, nor did I force anyone to share these opinions with me. I simply extended an invite on Twitter. And the fact that people were so quick and so eager to volunteer them says something, doesn't it? Much like the pattern, I believe, it also says something. There are people, these are people who are involved in this sport, whether as fans or professionals. If they are uncomfortable or flat out triggered to the point of just not being able to see this person compete, that means that UFC has failed them in some way. Whether it was just bringing him on board or really falling short in terms of convincing us that there was a reason for it. Or really just making us buy this narrative of redemption that they are selling. I think an exchange here uh, between a male and a female follower really sums it up. 
Miami Al started it by saying that he believes that there is a place for second chances and rehabilitation, but that he thinks Hardy has shown zero remorse or interest in any outreach. Then, um, this is the actual handle, the Dorinda Medley Sen account replied that she agrees and that there was no change behavior. She says she said second chances are earned. To which uh, I will read the follow up, okay, word for word. Uh, Miami Al, exactly. Imagine he attended counseling, discussed what he'd done, tried to educate others. He deserved a second chance and could do genuine good and get a lot of public support. Instead, he wants to be a pro wrestling bad guy. Dana's got a lot to answer for. And then she uh, answered back. Something someone said a couple weeks ago keep echo keeps echoing in my head. People want to forgive you. They really do. The bar is on the floor and they still stubbornly won't clear it won't clear it it's true here too if it did work droves of new fans but no so with that exchange i'll move on to another aspect of that that got brought up often in those uh, replies and dms i touched on it myself when i worked for mma junkie and we did a column called triple take basically after hardy's first official ufc win the question we asked was what to do next with him and i wondered then something I still wonder now. And that is, this is done. Greg Hardy is here. He's a name. He brings money. And the UFC is a business. We can't deny the reality of things. He's not going anywhere. But I argued that if they were so sad on shoving him down our throats, they could have done it a little more gently. To that effect, I'll just add a segment of a DM I got from a quote-unquote measly fan who offered his, his perspective. He said, uh, open quote, just the concept of Greg Hardy being promoted as heavily as he has been by the UFC is one of those factors that sometimes makes being an MMA fan feel like a guilty pleasure. End quote. And that's the thing that really felt like adding insult to injury, wasn't it? It would have been one thing to take this guy who had been killing it and putting together this amazing record and had really become this undeniable MMA force. But Hardy had no pro fights when he went into the Contender Series. He was given a developmental deal, of course, but only seven months stood between that fight and his official UFC debut. That official debut, by the way, was already in the co-main event. And that's not even the most disappointing part of it. And I call it disappointing because we know how hard some fighters who have been in that roster forever have to work for that type of opportunity. But anyway, the most disappointing part is that Hardy was scheduled to be on the same card as Rachel Ostevich, who was then, then coming off an alleged domestic violence incident of her own. She'd been granted an order of protection from her husband. Wherever you sit on this matter, this was not a good look. And what did the UFC do? Argue that Ostevich was consulted and was fine with it, so there you have it. Case closed. Stop creating issues where they don't exist. Here, uh, I'll use Davy Boy's reply to help me discuss this. He asked me on, he, on a mention. I'll ask publicly, can he be forgiven? I didn't like the fact that he was on the same card as Rachel Ostevich, but the media asked her if she was okay with it, and she was. After that, it put me at ease, since she was okay with it. Maybe I'm wrong, but are we to say never to him? Davy is right in that she was okay with it. But now, think about what that meant for Ostevich. 
Of course, the media had to ask her about it, and she was very magnanimous about the whole thing. She talked about meeting Hardy and telling him she was happy he was making a comeback. She really was just a vision of strength and poise and grace and forgiveness that week. But the thing is, she shouldn't have been put in that position in the first place. Especially not this fresh off her own experience. This is a type of framing that does everybody a disservice. It creates a narrative that shifts away from the man and focuses on the woman. And it often comes down to that, doesn't it? Osevich had a fight of her own against Paige Van Zandt, and her own narrative was hijacked. And for a lot of people, that absolved Hardy. See, this woman, this alleged victim, is fine with him, so we should all be fine with it, right? Except, not all women in that same position would have been fine with it. Jessica Rose Clark, another female UFC fighter who ha- has had her own past dealings with an abusive partner, is one woman who's openly expressed her issues with Hardy's presence in the UFC. Which I bring up to say that not all victims look the same. Not, of, not all victims feel the same, they aren't affected the same way, and they don't react the same way. And putting this weight on the alleged victim and not on the alleged perpetrators, is a disservice that the media, and I am not excluding myself here from this group, commits all too often. We have contributed to these narratives that don't do anyone any good. One thing that I see happening all the time that really drives me crazy is people who interview fighters who train or have relationships with Hardy, especially women, and ask them how they feel about him. To which I ask, why? What are we accomplishing here with this question? And really, what are they to answer? They train with him. They know him. They may very well like him. And again, the argument was never that Hardy was unlikable on a personal level. He may very well be kind or have a wonderful sense of humor. Maybe he grills a mean steak. Maybe he helps old ladies cross the street. Maybe he can quote Wayne's world from the top of his head. The thing is... Does it really matter when it comes to the issue that we want to discuss? We keep slapping that easy, controversial label on Hardy and hoping that one word exempts us from the responsibility of grappling with these complicated realities. If anything, this contributes to the narrative that it's his heart that is on trial here, and it is not. It makes the people who have an issue with how it all went down seem like they're on a witch hunt. It puts those around Hardy even if in just a training capacity, in an uncomfortable position. No matter how they answer these questions, it seems like they will disappoint someone. If the idea is to rehab his image, which should be up to the UFC and Hardy himself, not the media, I would argue that's really not the way to go about it. In any case, Hardy fought Alan Crowder in the Coleman event that night, and he lost. He got disqualified after an illegal strike. That would have been a golden opportunity for the UFC to just dial it back a notch, to reassess their approach to the whole thing. Maybe give Hardy a preliminary card spot or something. Anything. Really, the part was just that low. Instead, they gave him another coming event against a guy with a dubious record that Dana White himself later discredited. Hardy won easily with a first-round TKO. Then he went on to beat Juan Adams, this time in even faster fashion, in the main card of UFC on ESPN4. Now, ahead of Hardy's fourth UFC bout, we find ourselves in our current predicament. A predicament that for Twitter user Kane Walk looks like this. 
he's free to make a living. That's really not what my issue with him is. And then parenthesis. Although I think he's probably a shitty person too. My issue is with the blatant record padding he's gotten from the UFC. The UFC has been the top of the mountain. You don't deserve tune-ups there. I bring this up because that was also a very prevalent element to these responses. Some of those who share their thoughts with me can't, can't really stand to watch Greg Hardy fight. Some watch just in hopes that they will see him lose or get his ass kicked. And some, like my friend from Indiscutido.com, Rodrigo Del Campo, believe, and by the way, he asked me to quote him on this, that fuck Greg Hardy and anyone who cheers for him. That was in all caps, by the way. But some people won't go that far. For some, the problem is maybe less with the fact that he's there and more with the type of preferential treatment that he's had despite having done so little to prove himself as a fighter. And some would argue, and I agree, that this is what makes the whole thing extra icky, right? That Hardy's position in the UFC is based, as it often is, on the power of his name. And when that name power is not just due to the fact that he's a former NFL player, but also due to the fact that his career there ended with the help of a really serious accusation, what does this say about the promotion's priorities? Is it really about giving a man a second shot? Or is it really about money? If it is the former, I gotta say they're not doing a good job at communicating that. Something else that was brought up often there was really the inconsistency. Some went back to Dana White's own words to Fox Sports in 2014 when he said that you don't bounce back from hitting a woman. Don't they though? Hardy ended up becoming the highest profile example of lenient comedy company policy, and a few people did bring up valuable reflections as to why that is. But you do have cases like Anthony Johnson, who remained in the UFC's roster for quite some time despite his own legal woes in that regard. I've already been talking for like a thousand days, so I won't go into his specific case, but that's an easy research to make. So how do we reconcile all this? For some, it's easier than it is for others. I'll leave here what was kind of a dissenting voice compared to the type of reply that I get. Um, it comes from Mikey Gills, who asks, He's lost over $100 million, his career and reputation. Now he's proving capable of making a living in another field and you don't think he should be allowed? At what point does his past become his past? I'm not saying he's a good guy, but a life sentence? Nah. At what point does his past become his past? That's a huge question, right? I'm human and a woman and a feminist, and I do have my own personal views as to what type of quote-unquote mistake I am personally willing to get past. I don't have all the facts of the Hardy situation. When do we ever, right, in cases like these? But I do believe that, as a society, we're quick to wonder about the careers and the futures of the men. And we're not all that worried about the futures of the women that they allegedly hurt. That's not an MMA thing. That's a world we live in thing. So when faced with situations like these, it's hard not to project. But I am also a journalist, and that entails having to look at many angles. And that's why I struggled so much with the idea of this episode. I felt like there was no way that I would get the tone right. I felt like I'd be either be going too easy or too hard and that inevitably I'd be letting someone down or getting someone sued. And maybe I have. Please don't sue me. I'm broke. But also, 
I knew that if I'm setting out to do a podcast in which we discuss difficult things about the sport, this was the one difficult discussion I could not shy away from. And that's also why I recruited your help and why I was so happy that so many of you, more than I could have ever expected, were eager to extend it. Hopefully, I didn't entirely fuck it up. If I did, you know where to find me and I'm sure you will have no problem letting me know. Preferably, though, you'll hit me up on Twitter for more pleasant reasons, like podcast tips, or Van Damme gifts, or videos of corgi butts and clumsy pandas. If I don't see you until then, we'll meet here next Tuesday for another round of MMA and other stuff.